be seated. This morning we look at the fourth essential of Christmas, and it's possessing an honest heart as seen in the shepherds, and thank you student ministries for your leading us in worship as well. Take your Bibles, please open to our text, that's Luke's chapter 2, you're going to need to do that, and uh, we're going to see how to impact the lives of those around us, and then we do it with honest hearts, and we leave the results with God. Take a moment and think about honesty in business. You know, every one of us is involved in business. Nothing happens without business. Uh, where we go, what we do, how we get there. You know, driving that car is the auto industry. Putting gas in the tank is the fuel industry. Uh, wearing our clothes is merchandise and sales industry, textile Eating our food, it's the farming industry and all the other related pieces of that. Life evolves around doing business. And I would venture to say that every one of us in here would want honesty when it comes to business. So we got to conduct our business transactions, right? As we do it, we need an honest heart. We want that from others, and we want to do it. And I'll tell you, if we're honest in life, we will make a difference in the lives of others because there's not all that honesty around. I'm going to give you a bad picture. I'm going to give you a good picture of honesty, dishonesty. You've got to go back to 2009. I, I, was, going, I was going to mention Sam Bankman-Fried and his whatever, but he hasn't been convicted of anything. So I had to go back to one worse than him, maybe, or just as bad, and that's... And that's Bernie Madoff. Remember Bernie? He had a Ponzi scheme. Google Ponzi, and you'll read about what happened in the early 1900s. This is an article from Reuters News, and it's back to 2009, March 12th. Madoff pleads guilty as jailed for $65 billion fraud, orchestrating the biggest investment fraud in Wall Street history. Madoff, who's at this point 70 years of age, he said in, in court, I am painfully aware that I, that I have deeply hurt many. I wonder what Tony said that. Many people, including family, friends, and associates. When I began my Ponzi scheme, I believed it would end shortly and I would be able to extricate myself and my clients from the scheme. Well, then the prosecutors said it amounted to $65 billion, 20 years of it, and 4,800 clients. Update. Since that scheme, it was his, his, his sons that turned him in, convicted of fraud, money laundering, and related crimes, sentenced to 150 years in federal prison. And then, of course, he died a year ago, April 14, 2021. Oh, the dishonesty. Terrible. Now, let me give you the opposite. This is one of my favorite business people and uh, my favorite stories. And it's J.C. Penney's. Yes, that C stands for cash. James Cash. They named his son. James Cash Penny. Strong, committed believer. Built his business on honesty. His dad was a poor, unsalaried Baptist minister uh, who taught his children God's word, and it truly impacted James' life. Mr. Penny opened his first store in Kemmerer, Wyoming in 1902. 
And in those days, merchants operated their businesses under the motto of caveat emptor, meaning let the buyer beware. Not a good way to operate, right? At least not for the buyer. Customers had to be on guard against all kinds of dishonesty, shoddy merchandise, fraudulent claims about quality, deceptive dual pricing systems, uh, discriminatory sale practice, lousy, uncaring salespeople. Mr. Penny, naming his first store entitled the Golden Rule Store. And he boldly proclaimed the idea that set him apart from his competitors. Namely, quote, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In so doing, he forever changed the way Americans do business with retail merchants, see, as merchants. Mr. Penny did a lot of speaking and a lot of writing. And he developed what he called the six principles for daily living. And they are great. Here's, he writes on every principle. Let me give you just the six principles and what he wrote. I believe in a practical application of the golden rule as enunciated by the master teacher on the hillside of Judea nearly 2,000 years ago. Quote, right? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Oh, look at that. I missed number three. How about that? I didn't miss number three. That's what my message is all about this morning. It's about being honest, right? That's our theme. Here's what Mr. Penny wrote on the honesty one. Not only the kind of honesty that keeps a man's fingers out of his neighbor's till, but the finer honesty that would not allow a man to give less than his best. The kind of honesty that makes him count not as only his hours, but his duties and opportunities. Isn't that awesome? That's great. And if we exhibit that kind of honesty in all that we do, do you not think that we will have a great impact for Christ's sake, no matter who we're with? Duties and obligations and responsibilities and opportunities. That's what I want us to see from the lives of the shepherds this morning. The shepherd account starts in verse 8, but we've got to do a little backstory at verses 1 to 7, so let's just do that. You've got your Bibles open, verses 1 to 3. Luke gives us that the world is under the, uh, the time of Christ coming under Caesar Augustus, who is the emperor of the Roman world. He's an absolute monarch. He reigned from 30 B.C. to 14 A.D. He appoints Herod in Israel, and uh, in Judah, and he serves as the puppet king there, known as Herod the Great because of his massive, awesome building projects. Well, he dies, Herod dies in 4 B.C., so Christ had to have been born before 4 B.C. So we see Jesus born during a time of a census. You see that in your text. The Roman Empire was involved in that, most likely for the levying of taxes. In verse 3, everyone goes to their hometown so they can register to pay their taxes. Verses 4 to 7, Luke gives us specifics on the birth of Christ. Right? Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. How does God orchestrate it? Look at it. Right there. Pay your tax. They had to go to Bethlehem. God's working out his plan his way. Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, Micah tells us. Arriving in Bethlehem, they found the city swollen with population because of, the, of everyone returning to their own towns to register for this tax. 
And they're hunting for in, they're hunting for room, and there's nothing, only they find is a stable, right? One's garage. And the promised one of God, God in flesh, is born. That's the background. Let's check in with the shepherds. So we start at verse 8. And we see an honesty, right? And it begins point one with, our, with ourselves, being honest ourselves. Point A, we have to be honest with who we are. Who we are. What I want us to see is we've got to serve the Lord where he puts us, where you are. And that's what we see in these shepherds in verse 8. They were simply doing their job. They're watching the sheep, their job. Shepherds were considered untrustworthy. They were ceremonially unclean because of what they handled and did. And yet what? God came to them. I think that is an amazing picture. An amazing picture. I marvel at that all the time. These men were simply doing their job that they were supposed to do. They're shepherds, and God comes to them. Listen, if we're going to impact others for Christ... Wherever God places us, where we are today, where you are, simply serve the Lord. Use those opportunities, as Mr. Penny said. Do what God has called you to do today, where you are, and tomorrow, and you're going to be amazed to see what God could do in your life. Be the mom, the dad, the, the child, the student that called, God called you to. The, the job you have, the position you have, do it with all your heart as God has placed you there. Be who you are, where you are. Be honest with yourself. But be and do it for the Lord. Do we get that? That's, that's going to make the difference. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, point B, we have to possess a heart that is seeking God. These shepherds are seeking God. I think that's pretty clear. They had a heart for the Lord. Why else would God have come to them? Yearning for the Messiah, desiring the coming of Messiah. Faithful men. And God comes to them, allowing to see this heavenly host appearing. And they hear the message. What a privilege these men had. While they're just doing their job. Can we lock in on that? They're just doing their job. Some application to make a difference for Christ's sake in the lives of others. We don't need to be anyone else. That's my point. Don't be anybody else. Be who you are. So often we want to impact others. We think we've got to change who we are. To, to, to reach the intelligent, we have to become more intelligent. To reach the sophisticated, we have to become more sophisticated. To reach the athlete, we have to become more athletic. That's just not true. You need to be who you are, no matter who you're interacting with. Be who you are, who God has created you to be. He's gifted us the way he wants us to be gifted. That doesn't mean we don't work on our weaknesses and our character flaws, which we both have. But our hearts should desire for the Holy Spirit to fill us and use us, Lord, right where I am and who I am. And then we exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Those need to be seen in us no matter our status in life, no matter our position, our job. When it comes to me making a difference, Christ will use us and fill us and he will shine out through us. I want that, don't you? We do. To make a difference, being honest with ourselves and loving Jesus with all our heart, point two. Be prepared for God to work in us in new ways. Think about that. 
You know, when God goes to work in us or he's working through us, it often means change, right? Something different, something new. Point A, we've got to be honest with ourselves. When God interrupts our lives, it can cause us to be quite frightened. Hear these shepherds, who indeed had a heart for the Lord, who loved the Lord, were minding their own business, doing their job, and God interrupts them, and they are terrified. They'll never be the same. I wonder if there's not been a time in your life when God broke into your life and got your attention, maybe shook you a bit. And were you not frightened? But then after you work through it, what? You start to become what? Amazed at what God is doing through it. That's what this is about. Verse 9, the shepherds were terrified. God sent his heavenly messengers to them. And this radiant, glorious presence of God was showing on them. And they're overwhelmed by this. God can interrupt our lives and do some marvelous things, and it can be frightful. Honest with ourselves, point B. Being honest with our, we got to be honest with our convictions. And let's get this. God's message <clears throat> doesn't change. It never changes. Message doesn't change. Point one, if we're not convinced of this, that God's word doesn't change, we will never impact others for Christ. Those who are weak in that conviction on God's word, on the message, they don't impact anyone positively for Christ. You can look at seminaries, you can look at churches, you can look at denominations who have lost that commitment to the inerrancy and truth of Scripture, and they make no positive influence. In fact, they do the opposite today. You've got to stand firm on the doctrine of Christ. I love the free church, our church denomination. The second point in our denominational statement, it declares we believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both the Old and New Testament, through the words of human authors as the verbally inspired word. Well, that word inspired comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it's, it's translated, all Scripture is the breath of God, the outbreath of God, and God breathed into these writers of Scripture, Moses and David and Isaiah and John and James, and, and, and they breathed into them the very words he wanted, and yet not taking away their personality. Going on in our, in our doctrinal point, we see that the Bible, it writes, is without error in the original writings. We don't have the original manuscripts. No one does. But we still hold that they were written without error. Why? Because they're sourced from someone without error called God. We also believe that copies that we have are very accurate, very close. There's some manuscripts that have come that they have from the early second century and through those early centuries, and the, and the scholars compare them and compare them and come down with what they would say is very accurate. Therefore, we believe that God's word is, right, the rest of our statement, the complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which, we, by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged, and so on. Those who do not hold to that conviction, they make no positive impact for Christ's sake or for the gospel on anyone. And that's because they're not sure of the, the source of the Bible. Who wrote the Bible? You know, how can you trust the Bible? There's enough books written on that. Is it just the church, early church? They wrote the New Testament without that conviction. 
There's no desire to take a stand or make a difference for the gospel. Therefore, point two, we must be convinced of the truth of God's word, that it is absolutely true. I commend to you books like Josh and Sean McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. If you don't own it, you need to. Give it away, hand it out, buy it for yourself as a Christmas present. In the first section, and you can read the, the, the content there, the content. And in and, 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 and in our text, right, God is declaring that his word is his messengers, through his messengers, verse 10. And the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. That message isn't just for the shepherds, it's for all people. That promise goes back to the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 3, when God gives curse to Satan, and, and he says to Satan, that, that you, uh, that that's this offspring of Eve will crush your head while you will bruise his heel, strike his heel. That is referring to Jesus Christ on the cross. Adam and Eve were not Israelis. This redemption, this redeemer is for all people. Genesis chapter 2, 12 rather. We see from Abraham. Abraham's not a Jew and yet he says, I will make you into a great nation, right? Verse 3, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That word you literally is the word seed. And that is a collective singular. It could be many seeds. It could be one, the seed of. And we see that as a reference to Jesus Christ through the whole world. The world is blessed through the seed of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's for all people. Apostle John writes, makes the same point in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 11. He says, he, the Christ, came into this world, came to that which was his own, but his own, the Jews, did not receive him. And then he says the good news in verse 12, yet to all who receive him, the Messiah is for all who would believe. And anyone who believes in him becomes that child of God. Impact, going to make an impact for Christ? We have to be convinced, the conviction that this is the outbreath of God. Absolute truth. Point three, we must also be convinced that Jesus is Messiah, the promised one of God. That's verse 11. Look at it in your text. It's what the angel of the messenger said, declared today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Let's look at those words, Savior. Some, a Savior is one who rescues. That's all it means. He rescues. Right? And, 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 and if you've ever done life-saving, and I used to teach that and run that, and, 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 and someone who's drowning, the rescuer's outside the pool, outside the body of water. I'm not sinking. Someone is sinking. The Savior always is outside of the problem. And that's why Jesus is without sin, because only God, Christ, the Son, is without sin, so he can do the rescuing. He's Savior. He's Messiah. The prophets talked about the Redeemer, this one who would come and reign on David's throne forever. That's this Jesus, this baby. And then he's Lord, absolute authority, supreme. Just born, that baby. If we're not convinced that Jesus Christ is God in flesh, we'll make no impact for Christ. An impact for others. We've got to be honest, though, with not the message, but the methodology. And methodologies change. We need to see that we're going to have a continual impact on this generation, the next generation, the next generation. 
if we're going to impact various cultures around this world, we have to be able to change the, mess, the, 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 the methodology. We talked a little, little bit about that last Sunday. Methodology has nothing to do with the message, the gospel. The message doesn't change. But the gospel, right, which we deliver, has to be fresh and real and, 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 and to give it to a new generation. But sometimes people get so hung up on the mess, the packaging, that they're afraid to even give the gospel. That's crazy. We must never be afraid of changing methods or style or music or technology. Those are simply tools to present the truth. Methods are not the truth. Methods, the, the, the method is the delivery system. Methods of presenting the gospel. Billy Graham with his crusades and millions would hear Billy Graham preach the gospel and were saved. Louis Palau, not that long ago, right? It's estimated over a million people trusted Christ. And that is still a positive way of doing gospel. But there's other ways. I love what Marion Douse is doing. She serves with global media outreach and has now for many years. Who of us have been working with GMO as an <clears throat> online missionary? Some of us have. Put your hand up higher than that, Phyllis. All right, good. All right, one by, all right, good. And, 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 and here's what it's about. I want you to see what it's about. It's being an online missionary. And if you want to be about it, take a look. The need is wide. The yearning deep. God calls us all, everyone, everywhere, every day, in places far but now so close. There are faithful servants working together, spreading God's word, digging down into truth. God calls us all. His reach is open and vast. So that's what we do. We reach wide. A global effort to reach 7.5 billion souls. Because everyone deserves a chance to know Jesus. And a chance to grow deeper in their walk. Because God calls us all. Now, in a connected world, everywhere is possible. Despite borders, despite politics, we are there. We speak their language. We hear their voice. Reaching wide with our online ministry. Growing deep with our online missionaries. And we do it every day. Because God calls us all. He is always working. And so should we. 7.5 billion. A profound calling. But one that will echo in every corner of the earth. And for the width and depth of eternity. In fact, she'll be out of the television this morning. And I want to encourage you. She's got some handouts there about being a GMO. That's a part of crew. It's part of crew. 
And, and you're going to see that TV and you're going to see things pop up and you're going to see in live time right now who is reading about the gospel, someone who's just placed their faith in Jesus for the gospel. That's what it's showing. It's amazing. GMO has put out a great gospel presentation. We use it at the chapel website, at our website. I want you to see that too. Did you know that you're part of God's great story of life? It's true. Because the God who created the world created you to live in a love relationship with Him. The Bible teaches that the great purpose of our lives is to love and honor the one God who created us. But you ask, how did God's world go so wrong? The Bible tells the story of how the first man and woman broke their love relationship with God by disobeying Him. They turned away from God. God called this sin. It was sin that separated people from the life of God. The power of sin in the human heart is what brought suffering, brokenness, and death into our world. So you ask, am I guilty of sinning against God? Yes, all people everywhere have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect plan for our lives. We've not loved and honored God as we should. We've all lost our way. That's why each of us needs to be rescued from our sin, forgiven and brought back into a loving relationship with God. So you ask, can God forgive me for all I've done? Yes. The story of Jesus Christ in the Bible is the story of how God himself gave his life in love and mercy to rescue people like you and me from the destructive power of our sin. While we were lost and without hope, God sent his only son Jesus into the world to sacrificially pay the death penalty for all our sin by dying on the cross in our place. The Bible teaches that after Jesus died for our sins, he rose from the dead. In doing so, he led the way out of death into new life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. This is God's promise to you. If you would like to be rescued from your sin and reunited with God, simply express your faith with this prayer. God, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to take the punishment for all my wrongdoing by dying on the cross in my place. I now receive your forgiveness and love in the name of Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, your new life as a child of God has just begun. Now, let us help you learn what it means to live your life in a love relationship with God by following and obeying Jesus Christ. The message is changeless, but the method is changeable. The internet is used for such evil, but it's also usable for the sake of the gospel. Be a part of that. I want to encourage you in that. Talk to Marion.
Never be afraid of methods, right? We need to just look at methods and change methods so we can reach generation upon generation and culture after culture. In our text, the good news comes to these, to these shepherds, but it comes in a new packaging. It's called a baby. <laughs> the savior of the world in the form of a baby. How can that be? In Bethlehem, in the mayor's home? At Comfort Suites? Where is he born? In a, he's in a feeding trough? Surely that's not what these shepherds expected, but there's the gospel right there in human form. Some application. We got to look for God to be at work in our lives. Sometimes it's in fresh ways. Maybe in a greater way if we're going to impact the life of another, we have to be open to what God can do. Sometimes we're terrified when it's not the familiar. I love what's familiar. Probably many of us do, but we got to say, God, what can you do in me differently? How, how can I be used for your sake in a greater way? And sometimes we just need to tweak and, and, and adjust our method, and that's fine. Sometimes we need to change the method, and we do that. But we need to all be praying, how can I impact that person for the sake of the gospel? I encourage you to dream dreams for your own personal life, for the life of our church, and talk to any ministry person in staff in there where they work and, and share some ideas with them. Being honest, right? If we're convinced of the truth of God's word, who Jesus is, we will take our stand for him. If you aren't convinced of that truth or you want some help in how to making that conviction last, there are some great books, Strobel's books, McDowell's books, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, awesome book. Point three, if we're gonna impact others for Christ, we have to be honest with the truth. And this is about our hearts. If we're convinced that God is the truth, and if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, what are we going to do with that truth? Point A, we must have faith. And I want us to see there's faith involved, right? Intelligence doesn't create faith. Knowledge doesn't create faith. Knowledge is a factor. Information is a factor. But that's not the same as faith. Look what Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. So there's this element of faith. I have to believe that Jesus is the risen Savior. You will be saved. Look at that. Verse 10. For with your heart, you believe and are declared righteous. It's that, that, that peace in us that must respond to the truth. Verse 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on one they've not believed in? How can they believe in when they've not even heard? Yes, the message has to be heard. Why? So it can convict the heart. So the heart can say, yes, Jesus, I'm responding to you. I want you. I need you as my shepherd, my savior. And that's what the shepherds did. Hearing is not enough. And the shepherds had a choice to make. What are they going to do with the truth? Sometimes we do nothing with truth. They discussed it. Verse 15, look at it. They concluded, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord had told us about. And it happened. And they went. They went. Decision. They went. They chose to go. Point B. Intellectual assent to the truth is not genuine faith. People tell me too often, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I believe he's the son of God. Oh, I believe he died on the cross. I believe that all my life. And that's saying, I believe these facts. I believe these facts are true. And, and, and they are true. And they have to be true for the one who's going to come to faith. But those facts don't save us. Saving faith isn't just a mental assent to this. 
It has to grip the heart. Jesus, I need you. You died for me. There's a, re- there's a response. It's an intangible piece of our salvation. Yes, God alone does the saving. But there's a response to the gospel. I give myself up. I surrender myself. Point C, genuine faith must be acted upon as it involves the will. And it comes down to a response to that information, to a decision that needs to be made. Lord, I choose to trust in you as my Savior. That's what the shepherds did. Look at verse 16. They hurried off, and they went and checked it out. And the shepherds heard the truth, they acted on it, and went out in faith. It's that point that that they and we must accept the truth. right? Verse 16, look at the middle of verse 16. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Indeed, what the angels said was true. End of verse 15, uh, look at 17, right? It says, Mary and Joseph told, told all they knew to the shepherds. So there's the input, there's the information, and they heard it. Yes, Jesus, this one is the Messiah, and they accepted it. They believed it. How do we see that? In their response. Application, make this clear. If we're going to make a difference in the life of another for the sake of the gospel, we've got to be honest with the truth, and that's just not about knowledge and facts. Let's somehow we can't, don't miss that. Anyone can study truth. Anyone can repeat it perfectly. But that does not convict the heart. It doesn't bring change. In Romans passage that we looked at, Paul says in verse 12, Romans chapter 10, verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. That's great. Verse 13, everyone who calls upon them, the Lord will be saved. And then Paul addresses the Jews specifically in verse 16. But not all the Israelites or Israelis accepted the good news. And literally that word is they didn't obey the gospel. They didn't obey it. They didn't respond to it. There's an action upon the good news. Trusting Christ, trusting his sacrifice for us. If we're going to make a difference in the life of another for Jesus, last point, we've got to be honest reflectors of the truth to reflect Jesus to others. The, the shepherds did that. Right? Point A, go to others with the truth. It needs to be true of all of us. Point one, we simply tell what we have seen and heard. That's verse 17. Look at 17. Awesome verse. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning everything that had been told about this child. They simply reflected it back. They gave it right back. This is Jesus, the Messiah. He's coming. He's in, in Bethlehem. And, and everything that Mary and Joseph, we don't have any idea what they said, they said to these shepherds. Impact. Point eight, verse 18. Point two, others will be amazed if we're honest with the gospel. Sharing the gospel isn't about us, it's about the gospel. It's the good news. And the bottom line is, right, the packaging doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. It's not about a methodology either. We can use it to help give us a hearing for the gospel so people will listen. But you don't have to wrap the gospel. You don't have to put sparklies on the gospel. You don't have to decorate it. You don't have to spice it up. You just live it and share it. And be amazed what God can do. Point B. And then we go to God with praise. Look at the response in verse 20. When the gospel impacts our life, how do we respond? We bring back praise and glory to the Lord our God because we understand the grace that he has shown to us. This is living our life for him to impact the lives of others. 
application, my assumption this morning is that we all want to impact others for Jesus. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm making that assumption. If that's going to happen, we have to be honest reflectors of Jesus. We have to show Jesus back the reality, the truth of who Jesus is. I want to go back to what Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching or declaring it to them? Verse 15, I love this verse. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful, you ready to kick off your shoes and pull off your socks? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's do some feet looking. You got beautiful feet? They're beautiful if we're taking the gospel to somebody. We can do that. We can do that. We close this morning. And I'm asking that question. What's essential to Christmas? It's you and me living out Jesus Christ so others will see Jesus, know Jesus, even through us. It's being honest. It's being honest with what the gospel is and that we believe it and we respond to it. It's being honest about ourselves that I gotta live my life in true response to Jesus to take him and place him in my life and respond to him and live my life for him. Have you taken and received Christ as your Savior and Lord? Those of us who have, for me, it's been a long time ago, but Jesus is my Savior, he's my Lord. And you and I, no matter how recent or not, we've got to be sharing that truth with others. How about some specific person? How about one specific person this week? Let's bow for prayer as we close, heads bowed. To all of us here this morning, has bowed to all of us who are believers. You've placed your faith in Jesus. You've responded to the gospel. You know that. Would you pray about how to be a better reflector of the gospel to one specific person? Can you name that person? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you, point you to that person. Who is that this week before Christmas? One person. Ask the Lord. How can I use this week to reach them for you? Ask your friend, what's Christmas mean to you? Can I share with you what it means to me? Maybe you're here this morning watching online and and you know you haven't responded to the gospel. Maybe today. Maybe you need to investigate more. There's books to help. We'll help you. Talk to one of us pastors. But maybe this morning you are ready to respond to the gospel. Right now, you're ready to give your life to Jesus and believe. If so, then silently from your own heart, you can pray, you can say, Jesus, I understand you are God in flesh, the Savior, this promised one. And you died on that cross to pay the penalty of my sin. I'm asking you to forgive me. I receive you now as my Savior and Lord. Amen. If that's your prayer this morning, let me know it. Let any of our staff know it. Please talk to us. We're going to sing about the response of the shepherds as they went out with great joy. Let's do the same and sing about that great joy. Let's stand as we close in song.
This is Pastor Corey Kugel, and thank you so much for listening today. Make sure you also hit subscribe and then visit our website, which is yourplacetobelong.com. There you can keep up with all that's happening at the chapel. Our building is located at 4250 Washington Avenue in St. Joseph, Michigan. We hope you'll visit us on a Sunday morning for one of our worship services at 9 or 1035, either in person or online. Thanks again for listening.